TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce. Hello and welcome to 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. Marcus Pierce here with you and as always, I am joined by one of the fittest men you will ever find running around Australia. He runs kilometres sub six minutes. He climbs mountains in Ikaria and Sardinia faster than Conan the Barbarian. I am speaking of the one <laughs> and the only Dr. Oh. Damien Christoph. How are you, oh strong man? Oh, Piercy, that's embarrassing because uh, that's clearly not the case with me. But um, great, Piercy. So good to be here. I'm really excited about today's interview. I think it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Um, you are training for a marathon, aren't you? Hold on a minute. Don't put yourself down here. Yeah, you? but like- not Yeah, but not like this bloke. I mean, Peter, who you're about to introduce us to, is like, he's the real deal. Not me. This is unbelievable. So I'm very excited about this, mate. This is going to be one of those episodes that uh, go into the vault. Go straight into the into the best of. I'm going to just put it out there. No yep. pressure on our upcoming guests, but have a listen to this. At 81 years of age, Peter Smith is, I believe, Australia's oldest aerospace strategist, and that is actually not the main reason why we are chatting to Peter today. You are about to listen to a human being that has more pep and vigor for life than most people half or even a quarter of his age do. His secrets or his superpowers, you could say, are his commitment to movement, to doing work that he loves to do, his very pleasing personality, which you're about to come across, an insatiable curiosity, not to mention his love of wine, which we all share on this podcast. Peter Mm -hmm. has known pain and grief. He is a widower after the death of his wife, Marilyn, in 2021, and he has also known physical pain, having completed an insane 600-plus triathlons in his life. To learn more about his incredible life, and what is allowing Peter Smith to defy the aging stereotype? It is a very warm welcome to 100 Not Out to Peter Smith. Peter, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Damon, can I give you some advice? Don't yes. do a marathon. <laughs> I actually <laughs> don't want to do it, Peter. I, I actually don't want to do a marathon, and I don't know why I'm training for it, but um, mm, I don't want to do it. But I, I might take your advice, I think, Pete. I might, you know, listen to that. In, when I started trying to get myself fit again, it yes. was the running vogue of the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And as usual, I overcompensated. I did a 5K fun run. I did a 10K fun run. I did a half marathon. I did a marathon. I then kept trying to do a good marathon and 60 marathons and eight <laughs> ultras later. I said, this is as boring as hell. They're all respectable people. This is not a place for me. And that's what I discovered triathlon. So come to triathlon instead. Well, I've been there. I've been there. I might uh, stick with golf, to be honest with you, Pete, but I uh, I'm likely to still try and do this running thing. Hey, um, Peter, I know we haven't officially asked you a question yet, but I do want to just ask you something about what you just said to Damien in your sage advice. I've read quotes by you that said, I found people running marathons were very serious, did not drink, did not smoke, didn't swear, and didn't chase girls. <laughs> I was and following- in triathlon, you could do all those things. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, by nature, I'm a quiet person, but I'm not a reserved person. I like 
being with other people and doing things. Even if I'm only doing them for my own satisfaction, I like to be with other people who are enjoying themselves. And marathon runners are wonderful people, but by the very nature of their sport, they're solitary, they're serious. As you say, they don't drink, smoke, and girls are something that ought to be in a separate race. So. <laughs> well, because it distracts from the training. It's a it's an occupational hazard. Hey, Peter, you are working 50 hours a week. Uh, you are an aerospace strategist who loves their work. You come across as someone that would be enthusiastic about anything, but you've clearly found your professional calling in life many years ago. Society would say that uh, you should have received the gold watch and be at home watching TV for eight hours a day or maybe on a golf course. But as you said to me today before we hit record, you know, your home is actually the Qantas lounge because you drop into your residential home to get some fresh clothes in between traveling around the country, advising uh, governments and organizations on on how to make Australia competitive and, and exceptional in the aerospace um, industry. But you don't have to work. So for everyone here that's already looking ahead to retiring at 65, uh, what say you about someone that has no desire to, to retire professionally? Say, stop and think. Is li- uh, Sorry, is what you do professionally important to you as the outcome of your life? If it is, don't give it up just because of a number. There are ways that you can continue to work. Age is becoming regarded now as useful experience. Ageism is starting to disappear out of industries, uh, particularly those where experience translated into the ability to foresee the future is very important. I've got too many friends who retired far too early and who are sitting around in God's waiting room regretting that they did so. That's sage, more sage advice. I find that amazing, Peter, that you say that because I was thinking only, you know, the other day. In fact, I was I was talking about it just the other day. Um, my father-in-law, who's a a, a criminal casey, um, about to turn eighty, still working, um, yeah. thirty plus, forty plus hours, maybe fifty plus hours a week, you know, reading cases and being, you know, read in and all those sorts of things, and still loving it. You know, he has no desire to retire um because he loves it and not that it's yes. it, but he just loves it i know that i have a speech defect in that i can't say no <laughs> <laughs> me too <laughs> at, at the moment as well as frantically working on a couple of proposals for the australian government about uh, starting to build drones in australia uh, i've just put myself in the situation that i've promised to do a chapter of a book on electric aircraft and new generation air taxi type aircraft within the next few weeks wow i've got a paper to give at a major conference on advanced air mobility and electric and hydrogen propulsion and i think four and a half weeks time <laughs> uh, i have a thousand barbie dolls to sell as well which has nothing to do with my career but that has something to do with real life uh, and I, I just can't imagine why Anybody who has had, like me, a career in an interesting industry or an interesting profession would just give up at some stage. Yeah. Relaxation is not all it's, it's said to be. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Wow. Oh, I love that. Well, it speaks to what we've found 
um, the graceful ages and the successful ages do, Peter, and that is they maintain engagement, they continue in on purpose, um, and they keep on moving. And when we speak about moving with you, you're a keen triathlete, and you triathlete, and you're training six days a week. Um, that's yeah. unbelievable. Six days a week. Um, can you give us a rundown of your exercise schedule? What are you What are you doing to stay that fit? The short answer is not enough. Wow. Uh, I can like a true triathlete, never getting yeah. enough training yeah. in. <laughs> Look, I, I, I'll give you a comparison. Uh, triathlete, triathlon is a very seductive uh, sport. And if, if you're reasonably good at it, you want to get even better. And I got lured into going to world championships and I started finding uh, a couple of Americans I came up against a few times. They're retired, they're rich. And before every world championship, they go and spend six weeks in Colorado doing high-altitude training. Now, you can only do that kind of stuff uh, if you don't have a life other than triathlon. (laughs) Triathlon is important to me because the fitness builds a basis for the rest of my life. But what I do is I've turned myself into a morning person and six days a week I get up about 5.30 or 6, get myself conscious, go out, spend during the week about an hour, an hour and a quarter, on a Sunday, spend two and a half hours, and then get back to real life. And that's my training. I well, could do more, but I'd have to give up something else that I enjoyed. And unless, it's good enough. That's fabulous. Okay. Unless I'm mistaken, you won the silver medal at the 2022 World Triathlon Championships in the 80 to 84 age bracket. And are you telling us that if you had spent six weeks prior to that you may have captured the gold because I believe you also captured silver in 21. Are you saying that all that's stopping you from a gold medal is six weeks in Colorado sipping uh, spring water and spending four hours a day training? I would much rather spend uh, that time in Australia drinking good Australian wine. But look, <laughs> to, to be fair, I'm, I'm a, a pessimist. I, I have never thought I would win medals at world championship status. Uh, in fact, in Montreal, where it was a very spread out race, I had no idea where I'd come and they didn't give out results because they knew they had some disqualifications and stuff. And I was actually at the airport on my way back to Australia when I discovered I'd won the silver medal. <laughs> and I discovered it at almost exactly the time that they they were doing the medal presentation ceremony for, with an obvious absentee. But uh, I'm not in it for medals. I'm I'm in it because of the huge enjoyment it gives me and the fact that it provides a fitness basis for all the other disgusting and interesting stuff I want to be in. Well, there's there's an interesting thing you just said about the enjoyment, Peter, and we interviewed uh, some years ago um, someone who I'm sure you're familiar with and maybe you even know her personally, Sister Madonna Buddha, who is, you know, referred to as the Iron Nun and is the oldest woman on the planet to complete an Ironman triathlon and was it, it was in the 80 to 84 age group. And and she st- took up running when she was 48 and probably mm-hmm. like she realized there was something more than just running um, to keep her fit and well. But she, she really did feel there was a connection to God or however anyone might want to term it <clears throat> through um, moving her body and, 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 and putting it to the test. Do you find that there's something beyond just your physical body um, when you are moving in this way, you've been doing this for over 40 years. Do you is, is movement for you something more than just turning on the car, more than just turning the machine over? Is it something 
that plays a bigger role than just the mechanics of it for you? Yes, uh, not not just the movement individually, but the movements together. Uh, I'm a fairly average swimmer. I'm a fairly average cyclist. I'm a fairly average runner. But I managed to get myself into a zone where I can combine those things. And there are times when I really feel that what I'm doing is is a very good part of my life. Yeah. It's so nice. It's it's just, it's just nice to just enjoy it and find, you know, peace in it. I'm a very average golfer. Um, and I love playing golf. And there's a couple of guys that I play with that are approaching the eighties and some of them are into the nineties. Um, and they're average. Um, but they get around and they just enjoy it and continue to move, which which I think is unreal. But I think what's fascinating about this, Peter, is that you continue to compete, um, which at a in a sport such as triathlon, which requires quality knees, quality hips, quality heart, quality lungs, it requires quite a bit to be going right, um, that you're doing this at 81 and you continue to do it at a standard at a level that takes you to the Masters Games and at a standard at a level that takes you you know, into the competitive space, I just think it's absolutely fantastic. And, you know, do you ever feel like it's time limited? Do you ever feel like, you know, oh, this will be the last one because it's hurting too much? Or do you ever feel like I'm, I'm probably going to have to give this away soon? Does that ever cross your mind? No. Great. I just love uh, it. Let's, Great. Let's, let, let's make it a mission, though. If, if you want, like me, to get to 100, not out, still having fun, you have to choose your parents carefully. <laughs> <laughs> and I managed to choose on my mother's side uh, yeah. uh, a physical and mental approach to life and a, a fairly lightweight, lightly framed body that's well-structured uh, for triathlon. Yeah. And during every triathlon, there is a time when you say, oh, I wish I could give this up. Oh, there's something going wrong. You know, the gears are slipping on the bike or something. But you get to the end of it. And because I do ration myself to just sprint triathlons for about an hour and a half or an hour, 40 minutes, a couple of minutes after the finish, I say, well, that wasn't too bad. And frankly, I'm hopeless at training. I don't like training. So it's looking forward to the competition that makes it easier for me to train and to stay fit. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Peter, um, we're still yet to interview a centenarian, um, even somebody who's 80 and is vegan, who's been vegan for the whole of their life. Do you fit into that bundle? Are you a vegan yet? No. No. (laughs) I, I am under extremely heavy pressure. Uh, from my 20-year-old granddaughter who was yes. an enthusiastic vegetarian and who breakfasts with me five days a week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I can't see why I should do that. Uh, yeah. If you look at the dietary needs of an ageing endurance athlete with protein, with calcium, with the other things that you need, it's difficult to see that you could continue to do that and sustain muscle mass and endurance if you weren't taking in meats. Absolutely. Uh, now, I'm not a carnivore, and I do balance that, and I have to say the red, white, the red meat percentage has gone down. Has the red wine percentage a, a, gone down? Uh, yes, but for different reasons. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. But the... Uh, uh, 
uh, one of the things I was going to say was that if you are going to enjoy wine and you're going to enjoy it with food, red wine goes better with red meat. So that's mm-hmm. that's yes. <laughs> one of the criteria you need to put in place. Yeah. As you see, I, I'm not your typical careful eating triathlete, uh, but I do manage to com- to combine uh, interesting and enjoyable food, including Asian and Italian and things like that, uh, with getting the right levels of carbohydrates and protein and calcium and the other supplements that you need. Uh, and you have to do that as an aging athlete because you are, unless you do so, going to see muscle mass start to reduce, stride length start to reduce. We are yet to find a, a guest, you know, and maybe we're biased, but we are genuinely yet to find a guest that is a zealot with their diet and and is, is highly restrictive. All of the ones that we seem to come across that are thriving um, have what we would probably call a liberal approach to food. And you even just mentioned it with you could have Asian one night and uh, Italian the next and red meat one day and white meat the next and um, maybe a vegetarian breakfast with your granddaughter and so on. It doesn't matter, but you're not you're not labelled or restricted to to one way because you've probably lived enough life to recognise that that's not the way. But in in all of our travels to Icaria and Sardinia, which I know you're familiar with, Peter. You know, in Icaria, their their national or their 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 local animal is is goat. In Sardinia, it's lamb. Uh, now that doesn't mean that they're exclusive to those two, but they both love their wine, mostly red. Yes, some white. Uh, but even in, in on those cultures, they don't know vegans, and it's very difficult to find any of them thriving. So, and we're not saying that to again to bash. We're really just curious because we cannot find um, thriving vegans that have been that way since they were born. And you're another one we add to the list. We still can't find another one, Demo. Peter's mm. eating red meat, and it, you mentioned the red wine. Uh, Peter, can you share with us your love of red wine? Because I know you mentioned. Uh, off air, I think it might be you've got an you've got your own um vineyard um and you've got was it a lazy three thousand bottles just waiting to be drunk that you don't think you're gonna quite get through? Now you've got stuff that I didn't know was public. I, I tried to hide <laughs> three thousand bottles. <laughs> Look, the, the the vineyards were uh if you will be getting carried away as usual. Uh, I'd been interested in wine since the age of about 20, loved it, loved the flavours, loved the complexity. I got involved in wine and food societies and stuff. Uh, but then when I came to South Australia, recognised that I was living only half of, uh, an hour's drive from the Barossa Valley and then got that awful itchy feeling, I wonder if I could have a little vineyard. <laughs> no. I did find a little vineyard. I then got completely out of control. I finished up. I was working at the time as managing director of an aerospace company, mind you. So this is part-time. I finish up with three vineyards and a 100-odd acres of vines. <laughs> and we made some well, – Rolf Bender made some wonderful wine for me, which went very well in the United States. But uh, after about 10 years of this, a glut started to loom. So I, I withdrew just in time. Uh, but uh, as a result of that, I, I managed to get a very good understanding. Uh, being in the industry, I managed to get a very good understanding of where you find the great wines, where you find the underappreciated wines. Mm. And somehow, particularly, as you said, now that I don't have a wife to control me, the seller spectacularly out of control. Uh, uh, you, you don't find those great wines at LD, I presume? 
I didn't even know that Aldi sold wine. I buy <laughs> all, my, all my wine on the internet these days. The bargains are just unbelievable. I love it. I love it. Now, you you mentioned your wife before, and Marcus um, did mention that you've got a lot of Barbies, and she she was a collector of Barbies, I understand. Um, and the Barbie movie is out at the moment, and it's t- doing very, very well in the box office. I've been to see it. I went to see it with my wife. And I absolutely loved it. I got the message. I got the message, ladies, um, and I said my apologies um, for being part of the patriarchy. And uh, and so, um, but I'm fascinated. Your wife left. Your your wife Marilyn. She left behind, you know, a massive Barbie doll collection. What are you going to do with them all? And do you want to share a link so that if there's anyone listening, they can come and buy some? You know, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> Well, that's that's where it gets interesting. I simply hadn't appreciated, because I travelled so much over the years, just how many dolls she bought and what quality of dolls she bought. Because they're not just the Barbies that you buy in Kmart or somewhat like that. There are famous couturiers who do outfits for collectible Barbie dolls. Wow. And I had I, I also always knew she took the biggest room in the house for these dolls. <laughs> But I didn't realise that she'd collected nearly a thousand of them, and that her collecting ability was quite outstanding. And when we started to catalogue them, with me waving the whip and my granddaughter and her friend doing the cataloguing and identifying the dolls and going onto eBay, they'd march in and say, "This doll is worth five thousand dollars," and numbers like that that just left me stunned. And then we eventually found that one that I did know about, one of the dolls from the very first year of Barbie, 1959, so an absolute rarity. I knew we had one. I didn't realise its value. And my granddaughter just casually the other day said, one has just been sold for (laughs) $60,000. So my wife, over 20 years of collecting, outdid the Australian Stock Exchange by about a factor of 10 (laughs) And she left instructions because the family are not Barbie people, particularly me, but she wants the collection sold properly and the money used for the education of our grandchildren for other things about having a good life. Wow. Wow. I reckon that is a story that belongs in Barbie land. That's uh, that's outstanding. Love that, Peter. Uh, um, Peter, you, you, you mentioned your wife, Marilyn, and a lot of people, you know, can look at, oh, Peter is, you know, living his best life and he's still working in a job he loves, lucky him, and he's fit, lucky him, but you've worked hard for all of this. Can we just flip the script a little bit and and talk about how you've dealt with pain and maybe even to the death of Marilyn grief and um, because this is something that a lot of people would say, you know, should send you into a spiral that you can never really get out of and you seem to be still living with a verve and a vigour that um, defies that, you know, stereotype of grief. Again, I don't mean to put you on the spot per se, but would you be happy to even inspire our listeners as to how how you've dealt with that and, and continue to live your best life? Yes, and this is going to sound a bit strange, but we were lucky that we knew and had time to adjust. Marilyn had cancer and it gradually increased. But we had three years to get used to it. So as a family, as a close family, we went through, I think, three phases. Pain, farewell, and readjustment. Pain still is there on particular occasions. 
the farewell we did with style. Uh, everybody who left the funeral left with a bottle of champagne. Uh, the readjustment was done largely as a family rather than me as an individual. And that's worked terrifically. Uh, I still am at the bottom of the feeding chain with the family, but that's because fathers and grandfathers always are. Yes. But, uh, it's, we now have a somewhat different life, uh, but it's, again, a life that is adjusted so that we enjoy each other's company. But with those very fond memories of Barry. Yeah. That's so beautiful, Peter. So beautiful and good on you for, and thank you for being able to share that with me. And like, I take that on board as advice, even though that wasn't advice, but to take that as a learning and as advice on how to deal with that. Um, oh, and I know our listeners will love that too. So thank you, Peter, for sharing. And I know that that would have brought up some things for you. I appreciate that so much in finishing off our podcast today. You say there's a lot of wisdom there. What what words of advice would you give to people that strive to be as healthy and as well as what you are and as fit as what you are? What advice could you give us um, so that if we choose to, we could follow in your footsteps? I don't think you should let life drift you along. I think you should stand back, look at your life, look at the things that you enjoy and see how you can organise yourself. And I'm not a great self-organiser, but organise yourself so that you can fit in all the things you enjoy, and particularly if you can do that in a complementary fashion. Yeah. Uh, life, life is about enjoyment. It's also about sharing. So you need to recognise that you're not a hermit in doing that, but that, that you're going to do it in the context of your friends, of your family, and just Take it all at a, at the, the highest possible rate of enjoyment and activity that you can. I love it. I oh, love Peter, it. this has been a, an absolute blessing to to meet you and get to know you and and learn from you today. And as I said to you before, we hit record today. What I love about podcasts is that these episodes live on forever, and um, your grandchildren can listen to this, and their children can, and my kids can, and, and Damo's kids and grandkids can. And I think there's something beautiful about your message being able to and your example being able to be captured today. I think um, what we haven't said is that you were the first entry into the Australian Masters Games triathlon competition, which is coming up in October this year. So for listeners that have been inspired by Peter today, go and hang around him and compete in the triathlon or, or choose another sport. There's table tennis there and 40-odd yes. other sports, October 7 to 14 in Adelaide this year, Australian Masters Games dot com um really encourage everyone to to get along and check it out but peter i cannot wait to touch base with you when i'm next in adelaide i think you've got so much to share i think our listeners are no doubt going to be inspired by your message today and uh until we chat with you again i think damien and i would both love to chat with you again uh may the rest of your life continue to be the best of your life peter smith and thank you so much for joining us and thank you and when you come to share we can share the cellar as well yeah, there's a lazy 3,000 bottles hiding under the ground. I'm going to come and hunt them down. Uh, okay. <laughs> Peter, uh, Damo, thank you for your wisdom. Uh, as always, uh, just an absolute joy, wasn't that, to chat with Peter today? Yeah, that was a cracker. Yeah, thank you very much, PC, and thank you, Peter. For more on uh, Damien, folks, head on over to damienchristoff.com, myself, marcuspierce.com.au, and until next week, continue to make the rest of your life the best of your life. Bye for now. 
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.